The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry de Bromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McCain. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. And it's great to have your company as we are joined for the first time on the show by Michael Willoughby. Willow, welcome along to the Final Forum Podcast. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? I am good. I'm good, thank God. Uh, great to get your insight. Great to get your views on some of the recent racing. You're going to get a... You're going to give us a, an assortment of two-year-olds to keep a very close eye on and uh, to be backing with a view to sweeping all the money out of Kaluki's satchel. Uh, so no pressure on you with that list a little bit later on. But speaking of star two-year-olds, Little Big Bear absolutely bolted up in the Keeneland Phoenix Stakes. And um, this is the first group one of the season for two-year-olds. And it was definitely the most telling two-year-old performance of the season as well. Um just the seven lengths he wins by. Unfortunately, we're going to lose Bradsell for the rest of the season, and obviously he didn't show anything like what he's capable of, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and he's beaten the 110-rated Persian Force and the 106-rated Chartash out of sight. What was your impression of Little Big Bear and what he can now do for the rest of the campaign? It was it was a monster performance, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest with you, and it's, it's hard not to be very taken when a horse wins a Group 1 by seven lengths. Obviously, a couple of Group Two winners in behind in Brad Sal and Persian Force, and and in doing so, you managed to get an RPR of one two two, which is just the highest race and post rating of any of the last ten winners of the race. And I'd say it was a performance that would put him in the conversation with the best juveniles of recent years. If you speak of Pinatubo, Two Darn Hot, Native Trail, I would certainly have him in the conversation off of that performance. Um, he was he was wildly impressive, obviously, but. I think you have to question whether a few horses have underperformed. I wasn't overly impressed with Persian Force's July stakes win. I thought that was a backward step from his Coventry run. I think he's most probably regressed a little bit further here. So I'm happy just to take the view that Persian Force just was simply not good enough. And obviously there's a clear excuse for Brad Sal as well. He, he, he missed the break, was rushed up to get a prominent position and didn't see his race out. He's obviously now missing the rest of the season with a setback. So when you look at it, you, you have got a seven-length winner, but one of his main rivals has come back injured. Another one of them was a non-runner and, and potentially won on a bit of a decline. I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not saying that Little Big Bear was incredible or couldn't go on to be a really, really talented two- and three-year-old. But if you did want to poke holes in his performance, that those would certainly be the ones. Um, as, as for where he could go for the remainder of the season... Aiden O'Brien's basically said that he could go he could go anywhere. I think even the Nunfort was spoken about straight afterwards, which was quickly brushed under the carpet. But I'd imagine the national stakes will, will be his next target and an obvious one as they look to stretch him out to see if he can get that mile with a guinea, um, with the guineas obviously for next year. Um if they wanted to and they did take that route for the national stakes, then that that'd give them a month or so until the Dewhurst or the Verton Futurity, whichever way they wanted to take it. Um 
but yeah, no, re- really, really impressive. I imagine seven furlongs will be next for him and uh, I'll be excited to see that race for sure. What do you think of his prospects of staying seven furlongs this season? Because <sighs> the, the and that's interesting, just the very way you've, even before I've, I've got the question out, you're like, eh. uh, because obviously he was 16 to one, 14 to one for the 2000 guineas before this race. He's now five to one with Kaluki Sportsbook. So you're not exactly getting, there's no real meat left of the bone now. Um, look, if you've got that price, fair play to you. I was probably more of, well, I was more of the mindset to be looking elsewhere uh, beforehand. Now you're forced to if you're going to have a bet in the 2000 guineas. But if you've got that 14s, you're in a really good spot. But he needs to stay. So to to be able to get seven furlongs, what do you think of his opportunity to do that in, in the national stakes when the opposition is going to get tougher as well? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you asked because I I do see him as a speedball. I, I think he's a much quicker horse. I'm not someone who looks too much into times or stride distances and so on and so forth. But I have seen a few of those sectional experts go on to say that yeah, this horse strides out like he would get a mile, and he did his best work late on. So you'd imagine even seven furlongs won't be an issue for him. He is by no name never. He's a half brother to ten sovereigns. Obviously, if you look at him, he he was pushed out to the mile, ran admirably in a guineas, but ultimately won his group one over six furlongs. I imagine you'd get something similar to Little Big Bear with, with Little Big Bear, um, a completely different horse trained by someone completely different. But we look at perfect power. His class allowed him to to win the Greenham over seven furlongs and, and, and run well in a guineas. But ultimately, six furlongs is his trip. Um, I, would, I would lean to the side that he's going to be better as a sprinter, but... Just looking at the way Aidan O'Brien operates, you'd imagine they're going to stretch him out to a guineas, whether whether or not, you know? Yeah. Um, Ten Sovereigns was out of an exceeding Excel mare, so it was really bred for speed. Uh, mm. Not just saying that because the hat is here in the in the studio, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, he's out of Adventure Seeker, so it's, it's slightly different in, in that regard. But when you do look at, it, at his pedigree, I mean, look, he's a, he's a looker on camera. I haven't seen him in person, um, I suppose I could have gone up to the Curra on Saturday. Oh, I couldn't have, actually. I was broadcasting. But I, I could have gone up one of the other days. I just didn't, um, as much as I enjoy going up there for all the times I've bashed it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's our premier race course. Um, but I can, I can understand why, uh, and I've read some of those uh, stride analysis pieces as well about how, based on his stride analysis, he'll, he'll stay. The thing about stride analysis is it's great, and I find it very informative and I, I'm a little bit like you. I don't tend to go overly enthusiastic about times. I have my method and it doesn't always work, but hey, when it does, that's great. Uh, for anal- uh, for analyzing what a horse can do, though, I want to try and get as much of the information as I possibly can. And and for that instance, I think that sectional times and, and stride analysis is very interesting. It's all theory, though. You know, mm. Until the horse actually goes and does it, you don't know. And the truth is, Aidan O'Brien doesn't even realise uh, whether or not this horse is going to stay or not. And uh, you mentioned George Washington. Um, uh, and that's a, it's a really interesting to see that this performance, on RPRs at least, is ahead of Master Craftsman George Washington. Uh, it's ahead of Native Trail. It's ahead of Pinatubu outside of the national stakes, best since Johannesburg. Like, that's extraordinary when you, when you consider what the racing posters are saying this horse has achieved. But I do remember Aidan O'Brien saying that he would not believe George Washington would stay a mile until he actually did it. So, and, and George Washington was bred to be out and out to be a miler. 
But that was his line. I, I don't I don't know he'll get it until he actually stays the distance. And there's something about the No Nay Nevers that until they do it, I need to see it as well. I mean, No Nay Never was a very precocious horse, uh, Group 1 winning juvenile, Royal Ascot winning juvenile, you know, an extremely talented stallion of that, there's no question. But I do need to see his progeny actually go and win a classic before I'll believe they'll they'll do it. Um, and so the five to one, four to one that's currently being offered now it doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. If you've got the fourteens, you're loving life. Um, if you're considering unloading the the clip now to get stuck into him, I, I think you need to hold that tough. But like George Washington, there were plenty of people who were putting, who were saying that his form uh, had more holes in it than Swiss cheese. And uh, that didn't really hold water when it came Guinea's Day. He absolutely bolted up, and he went on to win the QE2 afterwards as well. So the visual impression that he's created is going to live long in the memory. It is by far the best two-year performance I've seen this season. I'm very excited by him. I think that he's he's a monster. I have zero interest in backing him for the Guineas. Doesn't mean he can't win it. Doesn't mean he won't stay a mile. But I don't know if I'd want to be backing him for the for the Vincent Germain National Stakes, let alone for, for a classic. So... It, there's there's a lot more water to go underneath this bridge, and there's a lot more that Little Big Bear has to prove before, um, before I'm prepared to crown him European Champion Juvenile. For all that, he's probably going to get that that mantra. Um, I presumably, if he wins the National Stakes, he will go for for the Dewhurst, and winning three Group Ones would be incredible. But again, you need you need to see that, and I think your your assessment of him being a speedball. That, that's pretty much where I am with him now as well. You have to remember that Aidan O'Brien deemed him fast enough to, to send him to the Windsor Cast. Now, I know that wasn't, it isn't the strongest race for Royal Ascot, but it is a five furlong contest. And the form has worked out tremendously well as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, at, least in his early, at least early on as a two-year-old, they saw him more as a, as a, as a quick horse than a, than a miler, a sprinter than a miler, sorry. Yeah, the other aspect of that was uh, Blackbeard was supposed to go here. And part of the reason that Little Big Bear went for the Windsor Castle was that they had, at the time, Age of Kings, who they thought was quite good, and Blackbeard to go for the Coventry. So they already mm-hmm. had two horses. And Aiden he made the point of saying that on the final furlong, that the reason, he said, we're either going to go for the Coventry or we're going to go for the Windsor Castle. Right now, we're leaning towards the Windsor Castle, and that's because we want to split these horses up. So the Antarctic was going for the Norfolk, and they were sending Meditate slash Statuette was going to go for the Phillies race. It was all part of splitting these horses up and dividing them, going for the, the Chesham with Alfred Munnings. There was a plan in, in place. Um, but you are right to, to highlight that look, he's not going to run him in that race unless he thinks he's fast enough. I, I do remember watching that race back and being really blown away by the drone footage that ITV had. Because when you watch the, the drone, the, air, the overhead shot, if I could use my mouth words correctly, when you watch the, um, the overhead shot of Little Big Bear and how he quickened up through the field that day, um, you really get a, a proper, uh, and I don't know if you've seen that footage or not, but you really get uh, to, to really appreciate how, how uh, powerful his turn of foot was and his change of gear was that day to be able to quicken up. And the winning distance wasn't so much as big a story as, um, what did he win by that day? A neck? He beat Rocky sure, Roddy by a neck. Which, very close. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't exactly like breathtaking in terms of the winning position, but the visual impression, I remember breaking that down on the show afterwards um, with Oshin Murphy and, and talking about just 
how impressive that visual was, that this is clearly a horse who's got a, a, a really impressive turn of foot. And that was the thing that Arashin was saying, was fast, turn of foot. Um, and he's he's gone on to win his group race at the Curra by four and a half lengths, and now he's group one by, by seven. So maybe he's getting stronger, maybe he just continues to improve, and maybe there's there's no horse that can live with him um, at this stage. But the fact that we're even mentioning Johannesburg and Pinatubu as previous winners of this race does bring me back down to earth in that I don't think, for all the Pinatubu won a group one as a three-year-old, I don't think he trained on. I don't think he was anywhere close to, to as good as he was as a juvenile. And Johannesburg certainly didn't. So it may very well be that Little Big Bear is exceptional at two, but that his, his class right now will come to his level because they'll grow up uh, and they'll fill out over the winter and things will get a little bit harder for him by next year. But for now, certainly he's a horse to be excited by. Um, and you can certainly dream about, but I'm not getting overly carried away. Oh, I'd have to, I'd, ha- I'd have to agree with that. And it, and it is the, you, ha- you have to look at these horses who, are you, who comes to mind? Snowfall showed absolutely nothing as a two-year-old, mm. but went on to win an Oaks by however many lengths it was. It was felt like that. Certainly, horses catch up over, over the over the winter. They certainly do. And although Little Big Bear, who knows, it might get even better. There will be certainly horses, even in his own yard, that will catch up to him over that winter. So Brad Sell's going to miss the rest of the season, which is a real blow. Um, because he was terrific in the Coventry, and that form has worked out very well. Little Big Bear's Windsor Castle form had worked out really well. Um, the third horse, Shartash, came into this as a railway stakes winner, having beaten Bluegrass, who had gone on to win a Group 2 in France. The horse who was second to him, the Antarctic, had gone on to win a Group 3 in France. Um, what did you make of Shartash's performance? It's, it's an interesting one, because... The watch from back the railway stakes, they all finished in a bit of a heap. Apache Outlaw was quite close up, and and the, the, neither of them really ran too well in this race. I mean, no one other than Little Big Bear ran very well at all. Um, I, I wonder if I wonder if maybe a step up in trip might suit, but I think if you looked at all of them, you'd think they'd just been madly outpaced and could do have a step up in trip. Yeah, I would agree. Um... I it just it my first reading of it was wow that was stunning mm-hmm. and then the more I looked at it the more I went I don't think Shartash has stepped up here at all I don't think he's performed anywhere even close to what he's capable of but, but as as I just said you could say that about literally every single horse in this field and at what point do that we then just credit Little Big Bear for being exceptional because yeah you, it's like can all of them really underperform by that much I don't know. Well, that, that's the one it's thing a, that makes me slightly nervous about this in, in that it's very easy to go, well, they all haven't run except for Little Big Bear because you could easily do that with George Washington's Phoenix win and go, mm. well, he was brilliant and the rest just didn't turn up and that wasn't how it transpired at all. You, you learn afterwards. I doubt very much, well, it would be extraordinary if he was to go and repeat a performance like this in the national stakes. Um, whoever he, he faces that day you imagine it's going to be, it should, at least in theory, be a strong field. Charlie Appleby's got a, a lot of strength and depth in his two-year-old division. I'm sure you'll you'll have a few of those to mention later on. Um, Certainly. And the one who won on King George, was it? Uh, I was going to say a name, and now I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. So instead, I'll just be, I'll just go with the... Uh, the about junior, the wide margin Ascot winner. On King George Day, yeah. 
is it naval power? There you go. Bolted yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. He looks tailor-made to Group 1 company now. So, look, the difference between him and Little Big Bear is Little Big Bear has done it in Group 1 company. Mm. But Naval Power hasn't had the opportunity to actually take that step yet. But he's about to. You know, in a month's time, he will get that opportunity. And those two facing off would be fascinating. Noble Style would be really interesting if he was to come over. Um, there's a lot there that Charlie Appleby has to to throw in against Little Big Bear. I'm sure Aidan O'Brien might throw something else into the mix as well. Um, maybe maybe Blackbeard will actually rock up this time around. Um, I think Blackbeard, on the basis of how this race transpired, probably finishes second. He probably does. Um, but maybe that's a bit disparaging to Persian force. But yeah, yeah, I got the impression earlier on in the season that they thought Blackbeard was a better horse than Little Big Bear. But judging oh, yeah. by that, but judging by what we saw this weekend, yeah, you'd have to say he'd have been playing for second place. And sometimes that's the best way to have it, is that one of these horses is is taking them by surprise in that he's not really doing a whole lot at home, but once he gets to the track, it's a different story. Uh, and sometimes that's actually what you want in mm. in a racehorse to be a real star. Uh, and that it's, it's good that this fella has emerged on the scene in the way that he has. But the fact that they could have run him in the Coventry chose not to, actively chose not to, because they favoured Age of Kings. And do you remember the market move for Age of Kings that day? And yet it still mm. held up with Blackbeard. He still went off favourite. But Age of Kings was pummeled from eight down to three to one. Jeez. <sighs> Who has not gone on at all, by the way. Um, mm. So, look, I'm, I'm very intrigued as to how this pans out. This is by no means me saying he can't, win the national stakes or win the guineas but I I have zero interest in taking odds on about him uh, on Irish Champions weekend and I don't have any interest in taking the 4-1 to one about him that's available now is that uh, is that fair? I, uh, I'm going to come out and be a bit more punchy and say that he won't win a guineas but he'll win a Commonwealth Cup I love it I love it so group <laughs> one winning three year old yes but not a classic winner. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. Avoid that five to one. Avoid that five to one. Hit the lay button or um, mm. or we'll unearth a classic winner for you a little bit later on. But uh, yeah. Um, brace yourself now for May 2023. You said in the final four he wouldn't win the guineas. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that guy who was, who was tweeting uh, Godolphin John? It was like, I laid that horse to lose five grand on, on the basis of you saying that it was bad grand. What? Who in the oh. name of God <laughs> lays a horse to lose five grand? I was going to back him until you said that on Twitter. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I, I must have missed that one, but I, I believe it entirely. Oh my God. Because <laughs> he actually, to be fair to John, John said, send me your address and I'll, I'll mail you the fiver. And he goes, it was five grand, actually. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right, Group 1 racing continues, uh, this time in France, where the uh, the Arc Primaris de Geest Group 1 goes to Highfield Princess for John Quinn. Uh, I was a little bit surprised at this. Perfect Power was desperately disappointing. Um, back in seventh, uh, Minzal finished the second. Garris ran a huge race to be third. Uh, looked terrific for John Quinn and for Jason Hart. And um, Jason Hart was saying afterwards that John Quinn had targeted this race quite a while out with Highfield Princess and that when he does that they tend to hit the board and she very much did 
it's it was a, a massive training performance, and it, and it's not just the story of her rising from a mark of fifty seven uh, two years ago to winning a Group One this weekend. I think the stories can be a bit more current than that as well. She was beaten in two conditioners races on the on the All Weather at the start of the season, and in one of those races, she was beaten by two horses right in the eighties. She looked almost gone at the game. So the fact that she won. Um, I can't remember the name of it, the race at York by however many lengths in the Group 2. And then to win a Group 1 in the same season, it's a, a transformed horse. If, if you look at the performance quite isolated, she's she's beaten the right horses. Menzel is in second. He's he's always threatened to, to, to win a big one. Rohan, Naval Crown and Artorias, I think they've all ran respectably. You touched on Imperfect Power. I I was a backer of him this uh, this weekend. Really disappointed. Um, I believe they used the ground as an excuse. Um, but, but back to the mare. All options are open. Even maybe a trip to, on the dirt. She can go back to five furlongs. Even go up to seven furlongs. Um, if, if if she was mine, I'd be targeting the champion sprint. She ran really well in that race last year. Um, that was her first time of a six furlongs. And uh, she was drawn on the wrong side of the track. So I think she's just even a better horse this year as well. That's the way I'd go. But yeah, monster training performance. It was terrific. And without wanting to sound patronizing, it is great to see John Quinn having Group 1 success as well. Look, it's it's nice to see the Edna Bryans and Charlie Applebee's winning Group 1 races. But it is also nice to see um, smaller trainers, if you like, uh, with the greatest respect to John Quinn, who tends to... <laughs> paying in quite a bit of money uh, in terms of uh, profits and his horses are running tremendously well too um, and, and great for Jason Hart as well and he gave her a, a terrific ride they clearly had a plan and, and he pulled it off to perfection she's won it readily the only thing I would say about this is that it does give you pause for thought about unloading the clip on anything in the six furlong division because it's it's just there for the taking really like Naval Crown would have had a huge opportunity here, and he's only beaten, in total, two and a quarter lengths in full. Uh, Artorias holds the form up, as you said. I was really disappointed with Perfect Power, just like like you were, uh, and I was a supporter of him as well in this race. I thought this was going to be ideal for him, um, particularly with the, the main man Sumion on board. But you do just have to take the sprinting division with a bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, both both the six furlong and five furlong divisions are, are really missing a star, and I suppose that's why I latched on to Perfect Power, tremendous two year old, won the Commonwealth Cup really well. It's 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 lacking somebody, and I I'm looking through the division, and I don't know who it is, and I feel like that these horses are just going to be beating each other over and over and over again, and you know if you follow one of them, you must probably land on one correct at some point. Maybe it's Minzar's turn next. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up falling to somebody else, um, mm-hmm. just with the way that this keeps going. But look, if the Australians decide to send Nature Strip back again next year, he should win the King Stand because he's that good. <laughs> um, and without a superstar like him, I don't think you can trust Golden Pal. Um, so without a superstar like him, who else is there? There isn't really anybody. So yeah, roll the dice and just keep on going. But well done. That doesn't take anything away from what she achieved. Uh, and it certainly doesn't take away from her success. It just means that there's a health warning in terms of betting on that division uh, going forward. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, back to the two-year-olds. And we talked about First Season Sires with Elena Cullen from the TDN on Monday and First Season Stallion. Sue Nation is in the winner's enclosure in the group three. We, we touched on her briefly as well, but to expand on her, uh, for James Doyle, Charlie and Mark Johnston, um, I liked her chances beforehand, and this was a really solid performance from the daughter of Sue Nation out of a Delhi County Mirror. I, I thought it was a weird race. I, I don't really know what to make of it. I, it didn't look the strongest of renewals, so I can see why why you fancied Lakota Sue prior to the race. And, and if you look at her entry, she's got um, an entry in the Moy Glare. Mm. Um, I think she's got an entry in the Philly Smile as well. I think she might struggle in those higher races. Uh, th- the main talking point's going to be about her swishing her tail around. I personally take a negative a negative stance when a horse does that. I just I feel like they're not putting everything in. I wonder. I wonder if maybe she just hit the front a bit too soon, but I mean, she switched her tail around in the Chesham as well. So it seems to be a characteristic of, of hers, but I think a more patient approach in a stronger race and she might be able to pick up a place at best, but I, I wasn't entirely convinced on the, on the form of the race. She's fully entitled to go for a, a group one now on the back of this, but, uh, but um, I remember when I was getting into racing, uh, and like getting into actually betting on it. And I, I'd become obsessed with the sport and I knew that I was going to be betting on it. So I was like, well, you can't keep losing money on this. So you better start learning about it because otherwise you're screwed. And um, I remember reading an article about how horses, you can't trust horses who switch their tails. And um, reading up on this and, and trying to understand what this was all about and why is, why is this an indication of horses who, who can be a little bit ungenuine? Why does it this... What what is it about horses that makes them do this? I have never seen a case as bad of swishing the tail as this one. It was abs- <laughs> It was like she had the window wipers on. That that's what her tail looked like. It was like a massive window wiper on a Merc. It was ridiculous. It it's, it didn't stop her though. Um, if she, if she had been beaten, you would have you could have used it quite clearly as an excuse. But I mean, she was she was very tough and gutsy at the finish for sure. Yeah, that is a fair point to make. I mean, she look, she's, she's run to the line in the end. She did wander about a good bit, though. Mm, she started off down the centre of the track and ended up on the rail. I don't know yeah. if that was by device or whether she did hang. Maybe James Doyle uh, pulled her over the um, pulled her over himself. But yeah, no, I did notice that. I think he said afterwards, it's not on my screen now, but I think he said that she hung both ways. Mm. I, think I did read that afterwards. Um, but listen, she's she stepped up on on what she's done. Um, and the entries were telling, and um, she had been behind Holloway Boy, behind even Holloway Boy at uh, the Royal Meeting. He's come out and finished second since then. So that was it. Was good to see that race get uh, a boost in in form because the the Chesham was taking a bit of a pulling, and yeah, uh, was. we haven't we still haven't seen Alfred Munnings yet. So we don't know. I I don't know about you, but I don't think he ran to his form that day. Um. But he has to come out and, and show it again. And he's been entered up, but hasn't raced since. 
But she's an intriguing one, for sure. But that mm. tail swishing is is definitely intriguing. And the fact that she, yeah, he said that um, she hung both ways, is what he said. Um, so, yeah, she... Uh, she did hung quite. She did hang quite a bit across the track, um, and you're not going to get away with that in Group One company. But she's going to be intriguing to see going forward. It does make you think that you know if they can iron out this tail swishing issue, I don't. I don't know how you go about that. Um, and and if she doesn't hang next time, then she could be she she could be well up to winning a, a, a race of a Group Two or or even getting really competitive in a Group One. But it would definitely put me off looking to back her in a higher grade. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Uh, Philly's Mile and the Moigler are the group ones that she has entries in. Um, we'll go international again, uh, this time to America, where Nations Pride took the Caesars Saratoga Derby Invitational Stakes. Uh, oh, dear, Stone Age. Oh, dear. Um, Nations Pride ends up uh, running out quite a, an impressive winner in the end um, for all that he was driven out. Uh, he had been second on his previous stint to America behind Classic Causeway and manages to turn the form around here. Uh, I did think that Stone Age was going to be suited to this race. That Just that whole Stone Age project hasn't really paid off at all. Um, but uh, another American winner for Charlie Appleby and William Buick. It feels like when Buick and Appleby go over to America, they just don't miss. Or not just America, if they go overseas, it's... It must be just brilliant race planning from Godolphin, and I think I think a massive shout out has to go to William Buick. It hasn't it hasn't gone unmissed. In particular, his his ride on Nation's Pride that the horse was held up for most of the race at Belmont under Frankie, but Buick was quick to shove him along this weekend and get a prominent position. And it looks like that move was the one that that may have may have won in the race. Post race comments: Charlie Apple said they're likely to step Nations Pride um, back up to one mile four furlongs for the Jockey Club Derby in September. Uh, that was a race that Yabir won last year, so they know the sort of horse that um, that's needed to win that. And it makes sense why they rode him more prominently if they feel like he has stamina and abundance. Quickly touch on with the moonlight as well. Um, that was. William Buick and Charlie Appleby's other horse the, the day after. I, I couldn't find a plan for, for with the moonlight on um, online, but I would suspect that all being well, she would go to the Jockey Club Oaks because if, if if you look at the way that um, Nations Pride and with the moonlight have been campaigned, it's been exactly the same. Uh, listed winners at Newmarket first time out, disappointing in the Oaks or Derby respectively. Um, second over in uh, over at Belmont, and then a month later, that they both won at Saratoga. They've literally got the same CV, and I imagine they'll just keep following each other. Yeah, it's insane to think that both would go over and win, and that both have gone the exact same trajectory as well. Um, so w- we'll see what they do. Uh, Jockey Club, Jockey Club Derby, I think was mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it was jo- uh, the Jockey Club Derby in September, yeah. And they won that last year with Ubeer, so... That's the one, yeah. We'll, um, we'll have to wait and see how all of that pans out, but Charlie Appleby's having an absolute... A season of all seasons! <laughs> uh, thank you, Jerry Hannon, for the line that will never disappear <laughs> ever from... They the always memory. get stuck in my head. Uh, uh, for sure. Um, Joseph Ryan had the 1-2 in the Grant Thornton Belly Ronan Stakes at uh, Leopardstown last Thursday. Uh, Cleveland knew a newbie to his stable who has the Melbourne Cup uh, as a name, but they're going to have to get more room on the plane there because Gear Up has surely booked his place down under as well. Yeah, no, it was a nice performance from Gear Up and it was good to finally see him get his head in front. It was two years about a win. Uh, he started the season 
well over with a few okay performances. I imagine the trip was a bit short of his best. Joseph O'Brien has outlined the Caulfield Cup for that horse. So yeah, a, a mile and a half seems to really suit him a lot more than the one mile too. Um, as we're on the topic and you already mentioned him, I think Cleveland is the more interesting of the two of them, especially if they do go for an adventure over in Australia. Um, as noted, he finished second, but that's all he needed to do to get into the Melbourne Cup is, is he needed uh, need to be placed in group company. I thought that was a really, really good effort from Cleveland. I imagine they weren't pushing him to try and win the race, even given that they had the winner there and also only near to place. I have him down as a real stayer. So the fact he was able to run so well over these middling distances is a massive positive. Best of luck connections, because I hope he makes it to the Melbourne Cup in one piece. I I, I think he'll love the step back up to two miles. Yeah, it's interesting you said that because I was more taken with him as well. And I'm intrigued about the whole thing of him being half retained by Coolmore and yet being moved from Aiden to Joseph. And if you Mm. think about it, for all that Aiden O'Brien is the world's leading trainer, Joseph's got this incredible record down under. You know, Aiden did send Highland Reel down there to win a Cox Plate, but Joseph continues to get the job done, left, right, and center. Cox Plates, Melbourne Cups, copy, paste, group one, grade one in Australia, Joseph, Joseph Ryan is able to go and win it. And uh, obviously Lloyd Williams wanted to buy the horse. I'm sure that he would have paid whatever it was that was being asked within reason. But Coolmore went, no, we want to keep uh, sharing him. And, uh, and the decision was made to, to send him to Joseph, which is intriguing. He looks at an out-and-out Melbourne Cup horse to me, particularly given the fact that he was able to stay in the Chester Cup. And Joseph also seems to be able to get the tactics of the racing in Australia spot on as well. Yeah, that, and that Chester Cup has really worked out. Obviously, the second being Coltrane, he's gone and oh. he didn't disgrace himself in, in a Goodwood Cup even, but um, ran really well in Ascot Stakes. So just having a look there, Cleveland currently only on a mark of 110. That is really tempting for a Melbourne Cup. I wonder... Uh, I wonder what the next plan will be for him, what race they might try and delve into next. Mm. It's going to be very interesting to see. Do they do they put him in a, a Caulfield Cup or a Cox Plate? Do you go for a group mm. one race? Or, or do you just hope that he's... I mean, I assume he gets in. There's no reason to think that he won't. No. Um, and he's, what, he's currently a 16 to one shot for the Melbourne Cup? You can get 20s. Jeez, I think... 20s that's uh, as soon as we get off this call i'll I'll, I'll be having i'll be having a little play on that that is for sure because uh i mean i've backed him in pretty much all of his starts this season cleveland i've been uh, well all of his starts after the chester cup i i really think he could uh, i really think he could turn up even to be a group horse yeah and i i forgive him the royal ascot defeat as well because I, i think he may just have been feeling the effects of that race in the chester cup um i I wondered if he'd be better on softer ground. I'm not sure if he's guaranteed to get that in a Melbourne Cup, but that was rattling fast at Ascot. Um, and he still, he, he definitely handled it, but he might be better on a softer service. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a, a lot of positives about him. And the 20s is uh, is going to be getting a little bit of investment from both of us by the sound of mm. things. Um, right, let's talk about two-year-olds to, to watch out for. So this is something I'm, I'm very intrigued by. Who have you got for us, uh, Take it away, my friend. Um, I'm busy typing away and not trying to take that 20s about Cleveland in the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three for you. I don't think any of these are truly under the radar, but these are ones I'm quite excited about. And the first is the Charlie Apple We Train Noble style. You, you noted him earlier. 
he he would have gone into everyone's notebooks after all bank and rural scotsman they were well beaten that day he did pick up electric which brought him back to the track at the end of july for a small little novice race and under a penalty although it was a scrap wasn't fully tuned for the and i expect a much better performance next time out now where that next time out might be it could be the gym um but i also think he could be a national stakes horse i would love to see little big bear and noble style take on each other i'm personally really excited about this one again he's he might still he might be a Guinness horse or he might be a Commonwealth Cup horse. I've purchased both of them already at 25s and 20s. I was pretty happy with that. I've, I think he, I think he's going to be up there with the best of the two-year-olds. Um, would you like me to roll on and speak the rest of them? Well, or absolutely. Have you got any yeah, that, that's a very bit? intriguing one, though. And um, especially when Oshin talks him up earlier in the season on the pod um, mm. with the view to going for the Coventry. And obviously that didn't happen, but he, he remains of significant interest, particularly seeing as he went on to Newmarket and win. So uh, definitely on, on the list. Right, who else have you got for us? The next is the Chesham winner, Holloway Boy. Again, not under the radar, but I think people might overlook him a little. He, he was a massive frame to fit. We'll call his Chesham win a bit of a fluke or, or, or say the field was weak. And then you, you, you come back to the fact he was beaten at a short price and just looking at him. I just didn't think a track like Good would really suit him. And uh, maybe he's more of a Newbury or a Haydock horse. But yeah, Holloway boy, I wouldn't forget about him just yet. I think I think he could win races again this season. Uh, the last horse on my list is Commissioning. And this one just blew me away on debut. Uh, it looked like a fair novice heading into it with my eyes being drawn to the um, the Kingman filly uh, Propense. Uh, pre, that was the horse I looked at pre-race, sorry. And uh, she, she did run nicely, but she was pretty clueless. But the attention afterwards, it has to go to the winner. Big green horse. And Frankie Dettori said he gave her one flick and she just shifted. I, I, I believe the plan is to get her up to a mile already this season. So she might, she, she must already extend even further than that as a three-year-old. I think all three of those could be ones for group races this season. Okay. Um, so give us those three names again. A noble style for Charlie Appleby. You had... Uh, Holloway Boy for Carl Burke and commissioning for John Goston. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I have three. Uh, the first of them is Thornbrook for Joseph O'Brien. Has had one start so far. Is very well entered up. Uh, that was at Leopardstown. I really like that performance. Um, won by a length and a quarter that day. Uh, she's beautifully bred. She's from the first crop of Saxon Warrior out of a Danehill Dancer mare. And uh, Joseph has given her entries in the Futurity Stakes, the Debutante, the Moigler Stud, and the Phillies Mile. Um, so I'm very intrigued to see where she goes. Uh, his- uh, you must really like this one because that's back-to-back podcast that horse has come out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I got to mention with Elena as well. Now, I really like that performance. I was very taken with it. And um, I think she's going to go far. Cue her getting beaten 50 lengths down her next start. Uh, let's see how that <laughs> plays out. Uh, his brother has got Proud and Regal for Coolmore. Uh, a Galileo out of a, a Danehill mare. Um, obviously, we were talking about the fact that Galileo is currently 44th on the Sires list, which is not exactly what you would be expecting of, of Galileo, but it just... I think he's on 3 million in prize money, but the performances Ooh. aren't really there. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit nuts to see him down that far... Uh, I, I remember looking at it on TDN on the on this on the sires list, and going, "Hang on a second, have I clicked something else here? Like, have, have I missed mm. him? Was he there in the top ten and I didn't see it?" 
And there he was at 44. You just don't expect that with Galileo. Um, but Proud and Regal has won. He was a surprise winner at the Curra, uh, 16 to one shot. Uh, and then Gavin Ryan was on board when he beat Helsing uh, on his second start. And there didn't seem to be an awful lot of market confidence in him that day either. That was in the Group 3 company. Um, he beat a, the Jorlands horse, Helsing. I know the Jorlands thinks quite a bit of him. Uh, I was I had was paying a lot of attention to that race because I was very intrigued in Age of Kings. And again, he came up short. And I wonder if it's just a case of Proud and Regal is, is so much better. Um, and he doesn't... I haven't seen a whole lot said about him. And he's incredibly well entered up. Futurity stakes, uh, that Group 2 juvenile race in Irish Champions Weekend, the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes, the Royal Lodge, and the Jewhurst as well. So he's got all the right entries. Um, he's also got a Derby entry, but that doesn't count. And speaking of... Horses who may very well be Derby prospects. I mean, this one is blatantly obvious. He cost four hundred and forty thousand euros as a yearling, and um, absolutely bolted up on debut, and then buried Ryan Moore into the turf uh, as he was trying to pull him up. And that's Denmark, who also has got all the right entries, um, and uh, they've put him in that race on our Champions Weekend as well. Uh, the KPMG Champions Juvenile race wasn't always a race that. Coolmore were interested in, but they certainly are these days. Uh, the Royal Lodge and the Dewhurst, as well as the Futurity Stakes as well. Um, and he has an entry in the National Stakes role that, that it would be unlikely he will take that engagement up. He's a Camelot out of board meeting, beautifully bred. That performance, he did wear a tongue tie on debut, which was a bit of a concern to me, but that performance was really breathtaking. And um, Denmark is very interesting. Just a little one on Denmark. He, he's a, a big strapping horse, but he was very green that first time out. And yeah. I, was, I was reading the post-race comments. You could tell it was it was first day of school for him almost. Uh, they'll be playing the long game with him. He, he looks like a derby horse. I, I would just like to see him stick his head down next time. He, yeah. he launched his head up into the air. I'd, I'd like to see him really, really run through the line. It was an unusual head carriage mm. to see on, mm. um, on, on a horse that would be given... Like, they won't have... As you said, they won't, the gun won't have been to his head, but it, it was unusual to see him. Uh, he kind of swished the tail a little bit as well, um, mm-hmm. but he has he's run all the way to the line for all that his head did weave and bob about yes. a fair old bit. Um, and look, Aidan O'Brien's on record as saying that he it's not like they're not trying to win first time out, but there is an advantage. Mm-hmm to getting beaten on your debut because instead of having to be thrust into listed company or group company where you're having to be really thrown in at the deep end, you have the opportunity to go for another maiden and learn a bit more. Um, and he's run away from them in the end. Now, what he's beaten, I have no idea. I have no clue how good Warrior Lion and View Token are. But um, he couldn't have done it any more impressively than he did. And uh, he, he's very, very intriguing and Interesting to hear you say, but uh, he's got to be a, a big Derby prospect. You would, I'd be disappointed if he's not in the first maturity at the end of the year. If he doesn't make it to that level this season, that would be disappointing. Mm. I, I, you, I feel like we'll be seeing a, a more polished performance, if not next time out, then 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 the time afterwards, as you said, uh, racing will definitely improve this horse, and uh, I, I'm I'm excited as well. Definitely one for for later on this year, and maybe that's the middle distance. Uh, prospect in as uh, the the middle distance hope, but as that I'm going for both uh, Proud and Regal and for for Denmark. Um, in that we all want to have a Derby winner on, on side, but 
especially if you can get a fancy price about one. Exactly. And there is a fancy mm. price available, which is also a, a nice thing about him. But is it a concern for you that he was wearing a tongue-tying debut? No, I, I, I don't have an issue with that myself. Um, especially given the way he performed, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't have deemed that as an issue myself. Yeah, I think we can sometimes read too much into this. And if he needed a wind off, he would have one. I think mm. it may be an attitude thing, and I don't even mind horses having a bad attitude as long as they're able to win. So let's see how he gets on. But I'm very intrigued to see where he goes next. I'd love to see him in the futurity. I would be really interested to see him in the futurity stakes, and that could very well be where he ends up. But we'll see. Um, last piece of business is a, a story that broke on Monday and seeing as you listen to the podcast between Elena and I um, you heard the the real time reaction from both of us to Harry Dunlop retiring uh, or his announcement that he's going to retire at the end of the season uh, I did tweet out when are the BHA going to sit up and actually do something about all this which got an interesting number of interesting responses and it got a few phone calls from people as well who didn't respond to it but who rang me about it and were like, well, what do you expect the BHA to do? Look, I, I get it. If someone is not able to attract more than 15 owners, that's not sustainable long-term, of course. But there is a, a major cost of living crisis that just continues to seemingly week on week, seems to just uh, get worse and worse. There is the, the fiasco with prize money in the UK and more and more horses are leaving for North America, um, be it Canada or, or the United States itself, uh, not to mention Hong Kong, Australia, Japan and, and elsewhere, um, the Middle East as well for that matter. And this is, it's sad. It, it's sad to read. Uh, Harry Dunlop is, is a talented horseman and it, this is not the only trainer to retire this year. We're now into multiple trainers who are walking away from the sport, uh, which has got to be a worrying time as well. And there was something that Elena said that I thought was very intriguing. She said that she had heard that the BHA wants to have a, a certain amount of trainers that they can control. Um, doesn't mean that that's the case, but it is intriguing to hear that being said. What was your reaction to Harry Dunlop say, citing economic client, climate for the decision to stop training at the end of the season? Yeah, no, I, I personally don't have too much to add on the on the subject. It's it's obviously it's a bit disappointing when someone retires when they could have had so many more years left in this game. You know, he stated COVID and Brexit is the reason he's, he's struggling. He used to have lots of runners over in France, which obviously has dried up because he either couldn't get over there because of COVID or or the challenge has been made too hard for him through Brexit. Um, I did read that he, he wanted to remain in the industry, though, which I suppose is a positive, just not as a trainer. So so that is good to hear. And I feel like we just need to wish him all the best wherever he goes. And, and hopefully this isn't the last time we see him. I was speaking to an assistant trainer a month ago. And mm. obviously, if you're at the assistant trainer level, you would imagine that your ambition is to be a trainer. And, and so I was saying to him about that, about becoming a trainer. And he said, no, no, he will remain an assistant trainer. And, and I said, oh, is it just that you're happy doing that? You're happy working with the boss? And he said, no, I'd love to be a trainer. But in order for me to, to actually make a proper go of it and make a, a really good living out of it, I would have to go to America or to France. I have a young family. I'm not uprooting them. But it's mm -hmm. not economically viable to be a racehorse trainer in the United Kingdom, certainly starting out. He said, you, just, you can't do it. 
And he said, for that matter, you can't do it in Ireland either. You know, let's not say that everything is rosy over in the Garden of Ireland. He said, I wouldn't be able to do it there. I can't do it here. And I'm not moving my kids and my wife to America or France or Hong Kong, even if that offer came. He said, not, not there. So as long as the boss is happy with me, I'm happy to stay in this role. And that's sad. It's sad that there is a talented individual, doesn't matter what age they are, but that's a talented person who does have the ambition to be a trainer, but knows it's not, it's it's a risk that is far too great and it wouldn't pay off. And that's where I think the, the issue with the BHA comes in. It's very easy to, to say, oh, well, what are the BHA supposed to do? Well, they're the guardians of the sport. They're not just the people who put the rules in place. They're the guardians of the sport. And it's very clear. I mean, this is your first time on the show, but since this show's inception, we've been talking about how disappointing prize money is, how, how poor prize money is, how more needs to be done with prize money. And eventually, you just have to stop banging your head off the wall and just accept, well, they're not going to do anything. And when the BHA, like, was it William Haggis wanted to cut 300 fixtures? I don't think that he came up with that number as a coincidence to match the 300 races they were supposed to cancel next year and then went, actually, we're not going to do that at all. Nah, we won't, we won't bother with it. I don't think he came up with 300 fixtures as just a round, nice round number that sounds good. I think it was a very pointed you think 300 races would make any, a difference? You need 300 fixtures gone, but you won't even do that. And mm-hmm. may, I don't know if they want to just ride this gravy train and milk it for all it's worth. But if if that's what they're going to keep doing, we're, we're not going to stop at Harry Dunlop. This is not the, the last trainer, and it's a really good point to make. This is not a decision. This is a guy who could have continued as a trainer for years, for years and years. But he has to go now because it's not economically viable to do this. When you're, when I'm speaking to a, a Group 1 winning trainer in William Muir, who very openly, in an interview that I did with them about Piledriver running in the King George for TalkSport, said, the only way I can make this work is for me to drive the horse box. And when... Oof. Yeah. And I, I asked him about the relationship with Chris Grassick and how that came about, and he said, well, he came to me and said that he wanted to be a trainer and he was looking for advice, and... He was looking for for help, and they came up with a plan where he would come in as the joint trainer. He said he wouldn't be able to make it work otherwise. And look, it works out for me, it works out for him, and I'll always try and help somebody who's who's a decent person if I can. But we're seeing we're seeing that become a bit more trendier now. Anyway, we've definitely seen a few more of these joints. Admittedly, most of them are father son combinations, but maybe that could be a future of racehorse trainers. Is is these joint licenses being uh, more and more prominent? Yeah, it may very well have to be. It may be that you've got to combine resources mm. and and try and make that work. It's a pity it didn't work out between John Ox and. Um, and, and the other young man, that was, that was a real shame that that didn't quite land in the manner that we expected it to. I think we all thought, because John Ox had, had such a, a rich caliber behind him, uh, and look, it doesn't take from his from his success, but it was disappointing that that didn't continue in the way that it, that it could have, uh, and perhaps should have. But if you're in a situation where uh, a, now a trainer of a multiple group one winner and a very talented trainer in his own right, and William Muir, is saying in an interview, this wasn't like something that he, because I wouldn't, I would 
by no means repeat this if he said, by the way, this is off the record, not to say this. Or even even if it wasn't in the interview itself. If that wasn't never, I would not say this on the show. I'm just not that kind of person. The fact that it was in the interview means I can say it. He openly said, the only way I can make this work is that I have to drive the horse box. Because horse transportation is so costly that that's the only way he can do that. And you can think of incredibly gifted trainers. I think Elena made the point that there's no um, there's there's no substitute for hard work, or you shouldn't be afraid of hard work, and that's a hundred percent true. But I can I can think of trainers right now who definitely would not do that, and and that's not to take from from anybody else. I admire the fact that he does that, and I admire the fact that he spoke about that. He was confident about pile driver, but he didn't know he was he wasn't. Absolutely. I'm not talking to him after he's won. And he's saying, look at what I have to do. He's talking about the industry, how tough it is, and and the realization that, look, if you want to go and do this, you got to be up first thing in the morning. You've got to oversee all of the lots. You have to do all the work. And then you got to get into the horse box. You got a five hour journey. That's your day. That's how it is. Pit and of money. Yeah. It, it basically, mm. yeah, it's a money pit. It is a money pit. So you're doing this for the love of it. And the BHA need to be understanding of that. I think there needs to be a realization that, look, the maybe I'm not making the case very very clear here, but it, I don't doubt that William Muir is not the only trainer who's doing this. And I, I don't doubt that there are more concessions being made by trainers as well. And I know for a fact that there are people who have left the industry, despite the fact that it was their dream to be, uh, to be a member of a stable staff, to work with horses day in, day out, they've left it to go work in the trade industry. Because the quality of life and the money that they earn is just better working behind a bar or working in a restaurant mm. than it is working at a stable for all that they love it. So I don't know how much longer this is sustainable in the UK or in Ireland uh, long term. It, it really isn't. And what you, what you're seeing more and more, Willow, is... The balance of power is ending up in fewer and fewer hands. You know, that's great if you're Aidan O'Brien and Charlie Appleby and Sir Michael Stout and John Gosden, but it's not so great for the rest of the industry. And mm. it, it, it doesn't help things. Like, when you see Formula One being constantly won by Lewis Hamilton, and I'm very much aware of the fact that he's not doing that this year, um, Verstappen is, is mopping up. But when it's always one driver winning or one driver with a challenger from a second, that gets, gets, gets very boring. You know, the Premier League was very boring when it was just the one team winning it year in, year out. It gets interesting when there's competition. And we're in a danger of monopolies crushing the sport. And I don't even think these these um, racing empires want to dominate the sport. They obviously all want success, but they expect to meet resistance and they're just not meeting it. So, look, I don't have the answers. Um, that's something that Elena said that she she hates throwing out um, issues and then not having a solution to it. I don't have the solution to the problems that face British racing, uh, to the prize money issues. To you and I were talking about fixtures beforehand and uh, how there's two nights of Newmarket, two days of Newmarket, eighty nine runners of both. I mean, dear God, like it's it's bad right now. Mm. Uh, that's a premier. That's a premier fixture as well. Like, yeah, that's yeah. It's dreadful. It's not sustainable. And like, I've I covered racing last week 
And one of the races that Lucy and I did had four runners. One of the races that I did with Ade in the social afterwards had three. Out of five that we covered in total. That's bad. I think the other had six. Another had six. So, and I, I, I said it to you off air, so I'll say it here as well. Um, that one of those races had, it was a Friday afternoon at Brighton. Uh, there were three horses who had raced on the Wednesday who were coming back out to race again in a six-runner field. It's manic. It's absolutely crazy. So, the, look, the BHA have to be able to own up to all this. They have to be able to to come up with solutions. It's their job to do it. In some ways, it's our job to highlight the issues and them to come along and fix it. But there's no solutions coming from anybody. And, and when there is a solution uh, put forward by, whether it's Savile or William Haggis, it seems as though that, that just gets no traction whatsoever. Um, it's, it's not listened to, it's not taken on board, it's just, yeah, whatever, uh, we move on. And it's, it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. And, and I, uh, the sad thing about all of this is that there's a man who has to walk away from the sport. Um, look, no one gets handed anything. you got to work for it. I don't think that there's any question about his work ethic. Um, but it is pretty disappointing that the, the sport is in jeopardy. And I think it is in jeopardy. And one of these days we're, we're going to wake up to a, a really big trainer walking away from the sport. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from, from uh, Harry Dunlop. He's, he's had terrific success and a, and a tr- tremendous CV and a CV to be very proud of. But one of these days, a huge name is going to be saying, yeah, we can't make this work. And is, are we supposed to just go, oh, well, if you can't attract the owners? It's not that simple. Um, the, the governing body has to do more. And I'm not saying I have the answer for it, but I am saying that there's more that can be done. So hopefully we'll see a change sooner rather than later, but I'm not holding up much hope for it. Um, well, I'll... On that delightful bombshell and that feel-good bombshell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, la, la, la. It's all great. Everything. What do you want us to do? Lie? Yeah, the whole world is terrific. Everything's fine. It's all great. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> I've really enjoyed your company this afternoon and uh, very much looking forward to speaking to you on the show again. Um, dare I ask you, are you more excited about the 2022 renewal of the Arc de Triomphe, or are you more excited about the November Open meeting at the 2022 Cheltenham Festival? Hmm. I, uh, I'd say I'm more interested in a pre de l'Arc de Triomphe myself. More of a flat man than a jumps man, but that is a conversation for another day. But that is the correct answer, because if your answer is, oh, I can't wait for the November Open meeting, that's the wrong answer, even if you are a hardcore jumps fan. It's the I'll be the wrong man for this podcast today, <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> As I give you a list of two-year-olds to follow, Emmett, and then go, oh, I can't wait for the November Open meeting. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a, a trippy answer to give. Um, but listen, looking forward to, to talking to you again uh, and getting more insight from you. Uh, where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, Racing Willow on Twitter for me. And, you'll and be- I'll also plug the YouTube, which is also Racing Willow as well, which I, sh- I should be becoming more active on very soon. Excellent. Excellent stuff. So Racing Willow on YouTube and Racing Willow on Twitter. And uh, we'll tag Willow, of course, 
in the promotional tweet for this very show. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully you found it uh, informative as well. From Willow and I, we'll talk to you again very, very soon on the Final Furlong Podcast. Be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com.